Event Horizon is the culmination of a secret government project to create a spacecraft capable of faster than light flight. This one will drive you absolutely mad. This came disappeared in two months ago without a trace. He's the guy that writes horror books. You can forget about Stephen King. The ship doesn't really go fast in life. What it does is it creates a dimensional gateway that allows it to jump instantaneously from one point of the universe to another light years away. Any crew? Negative. This place is a tomb. This is not reality! It's all happening for real, Trent. Hey everyone, welcome back to another episode of Sleezoids, the podcast where we go down the rabbit hole of 20th century genre fare from the most influential canon classics to the trashiest exploitation films we can get our hands on and invite you to tag along in helping us create a canon of sleaze. Each week is a double feature grindhouse style where we discuss two films loosely related by subject, genre, actor, filmmaker, or franchise. And at the end of each episode, along with our honorary Sleezoids, which you can become by subscribing on Patreon. We're talking psycho. Join the sleaze. <laughs> We decide on all the official ratings and rankings for every film that we cover. Patreon subscribers also get an on-air shout-out and two bonus episodes every single month, which we have been doing for over two years. So there is something like 60-plus oh, yeah. bonus episodes waiting for you guys, as well as our bonus transmission series where we talk about new release genre films, uh, which we've done like 17 of. So uh, there's something like 80 bonus episodes waiting for you if you haven't made the jump uh, yet. That's patreon.com slash podcast. And speaking of which, we did have a lot of people make the jump this week. So sorry uh, if I'm going to be kind of ripping through them a little fast. But we had uh, Patrick Clausen, uh, Timothy Wolf, uh, Dan, just Dan, uh, Robin Horn, uh, another Dan, but this time Seal, Dan Seal. Uh, we had Oliver Ryan Bowes. We had Josh Irons. We had Zach, Cody Downs, Noah House, uh, Max Goldstein, Joseph Townsend, Michael Hunter, Joseph Braga, Dom wow. Pagliria, Thomas uh, Wishloff, uh, a couple of the, and, and Thomas Wishloff. That's it. We got Great. there. Wow. Thank you guys. That's amazing. So, yeah. Thanks really so much uh, to you guys and hope you guys are enjoying all of the bonus content there. Um, we uh, also had, I'm going to see who, who was, Oh, uh, special thanks too to Cody Downs who actually signed up to at the $10 um, uh, nice. pledge. He's going to be, he's going to watch the live virtual screening um, with us. By the time you guys are listening to this, I think we will have already done it for this month, but uh, next month, uh, at the end of every month, in the last week of every month, we do a live virtual screening of just a random thing that Jamie and I want to knock off of our list, and we have fun doing that. We did Stone Cold uh, oh, yeah. last month, which was a lot of fun. That was great. I think we also did, uh, what did we do, The Prowler? Is that what it was called? We did The Prowler as well, yeah. yeah. It was a pretty nasty little slasher with some Tom Sabini makeup. Oh, yeah. Uh, so thanks so much to you guys. Uh, that's the one plug for the week. The other plug for the week, as always, is uh, Apple Podcasts. If you guys are listening on Apple Podcasts, I know that you are. I see the stats. I see them all. I know who you are. They tell me where you live. <laughs> that's right. Um, uh, scroll down to the very bottom and give us a good old rating and review down there. It helps us climb the ranks and, and find new listeners uh, that way, and we appreciate that as well. Absolutely. Uh, but that being said, that's it for the plugs this week. Uh, as always, I am your host, Josh Lewis, and joining me also, as always, my co-host. Jamie Miller. Welcome back, guys. Welcome back. I think two weeks ago would have been the last time uh, you folks would have heard from us, and we would have had special guest um, 
uh, Chug Twitter expert and Al Pacino stan uh, <laughs> Robert Franco. Woo! Uh, he came on <laughs> and did uh, Brian De Palma's Scarface and Carlito's Way, two sort of polar opposite tonally gangster films starring Al Pacino uh, doing brownface, which we had a lot of fun talking about. <laughs> and, we, uh, uh, and we also had to match the length of those films with a good old almost, almost three-hour three hour podcast. Episode. <laughs> We're insane. We couldn't get Rob to stop. He <laughs> he knows, he, and he knows every line of, of the movie. It's amazing. And he's so we good at so impersonating them. <laughs> I loved it. Loved every minute. Uh, so if you want a three-hour episode on Scarface and Carlito's Way, again, that was uh, any podcast listener of choice. That was uh, the free episode two weeks ago. But last week, for uh, the patrons, just for the bonus listeners, uh, we did Alfred Hitchcock's Psycho from 1960, a big one. Oh, yeah. And we paired it with Brian De Palma's uh, very trashy, fetishistic Giallo remix of Psycho, Dressed to Kill. Uh, so we, we went, we went problematic two weeks in a row, uh, and we had a, we had a really good time. We had a really good time. Um, so if you, if you want that bonus episode, um, again, patreon.com slash these, uh, podcast, uh, we did more Hitchcock and De Palma, which I guess it was kind of like a sequel episode to our one. We we did that last time where we did vertigo and body double. Oh yeah, for sure. Every time we talk Hitchcock, we we're going to have to do that. Trashy Hitchcock. Yeah. Keep, keep up the, uh, the Hitchcock and Brian De Palma episodes, I think maybe. Um, But this week, we have a very special guest uh, joining us. Um, She is a freelance film critic for places such as Screen Queens, as well as Film School Rejects, Brianna Ziegler. Brianna, how are you doing? Howdy, I'm doing just fine. Thank you for having me. Thanks Thanks for for coming coming on. Um, as the show goes, Brianna, we have the guests uh, bring on the double feature with them. So what two films have you brought with you this week and why did they pair together? I have brought two amazing and perfect films, Event Horizon and In the Mouth of Madness, which are both horror films starring Sam Neill, who gets his face all fucked up. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> That is true. And keeps waking up from nightmares over and over and over again. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Directors really wanted to mess with his face and have bad vibes with him for sure. Yeah. For real. <laughs> He's so good at just being an insane person. It's fantastic. Yeah, and it. do you know what? I think this is our first time talking about Sam Neill. Yeah, I oh think my so. God. I think so. So we're, we're, we're going to have to talk about Sam Neill just being good in general. Well, because we still haven't, the only other one, major one that we would probably do at some point, it has to be like possession, right? Yeah. And we haven't done that. And he's like, he, once again, just uh, he's he's very good at playing like the miserable, insane guy. Yeah. <laughs> <My God. laughs> I watched All Possession right. for the first time during a um, quarantine, and that was an amazing experience. It is. I love that movie. Hell yeah. Um, well, that being said, I think we're going to jump uh, right into it here. And I think uh, Event Horizon, we usually go with the more popular one first, but I think we're actually going to ta- tackle this one uh, chronologically. Oh, um, we- just because uh, we, we can kind of trace the, the performances that Sam Neill was taking throughout the 90s. Both of these came shortly after Jurassic Park, which is why I, I'm assuming he was getting so much work. Right. Um, but we are going to start here with John Carpenter's In the Mouth of Madness. It's a map. This whole thing has been staged. You just get out. This is not reality. It's all happening for real, Trent. <sighs> <sighs> Thank you. 
All right. We are talking In the Mouth of Madness, the 1994 American horror film directed and, of course, scored by John Carpenter. Um, the film uh, was written by Michael DeLuca and is a very clear um, love letter to writer horror authors such as Stephen King and H.P. Lovecraft. And it is also the uh, third and final movie in John Carpenter's sort of unofficial apocalypse trilogy um, that started out with The Thing, which we've talked about on the show. And the middle chapter was Prince of Darkness, which we actually recently did on the show with Esther Rosenfield uh, talking about that one and uh, Blair Witch Project, I think. Um, and now we are going to finally complete it yeah. with The Mouth oh. of Madness, which nice. is uh, just essentially John Carpenter in HP Lovecraft mode doing uh, some cosmic inexplicable horror. Uh, but this one with a little bit more of a metafictional satirical element to it, which I am sure we will um, jump into. Yeah, absolutely. I really like uh, just the, the start of this movie, which is like that awesome, like little guitar score that turns into yes! like heavy oh metal. Oh my God. I was, am- that was what I wanted to start talking about. <laughs> yeah. I'm so glad you said that just the like immediate dive into like heavy metal. Absolutely. It's so good. It's like, here's, it's an attention grabber right away. And then, oh, yeah. uh, and then, oh, you know, and then obviously it's a really good establishment shot. Just the, the cover of the book being made and, and all that. It's uh, the book printing process. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So the start of the, the start of the horror that's to proceed. <laughs> yeah, for sure. But then it, then it moves into Sam Neill arriving as a new involuntary patient at a sort of like mental hospital where he's, he's kicking staff members in the balls, uh, but he's <laughs> oh, apologizing. Yeah. About it. <laughs> I also like that the, even the doctor has this kind of like, he's, he's barely in the movie, but he, even he has this kind of quirky uh, character personality to him. Uh, yeah. It feels like John Carpenter always gives every little character something that's that's kind of fascinating about them even if they're just going to be there just for that scene um i really liked that doctor's performance mm-hmm. and anything else i like i i didn't look it up when i watched the other night but i meant to like look him up on wikipedia because i feel like i've seen him in something else he has like a really distinct face mm-hmm. are you guys talking about the doctor who um he first meets up with or the doctor who comes in, in and the like asylum him? The first one he meets, he's like blonde. Oh, okay. He's like a younger guy, and he's, yeah, he's like really creepy. Quirky. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's got a okay, yeah. See, I, I didn't, I didn't look him up, but I because I, I knew that the other one though was David Warner because we just actually talked about him doing um, uh, Time After Time, oh, where he played Jack the yeah. Ripper. Oh in yeah, the time time traveling. Uh, <laughs> that movie's weird. Uh, I love it. Yeah, yeah. My, Malcolm McDowell plays H.G. Wells, who goes back in or goes forward in time to yeah. San Francisco to stop <laughs> Jack the Ripper. In New, like New really? York or something, it's great. Yeah, we had, we had a great time talking about that one. But David Warner, <gasps> obviously, also very famous for playing the uh, really evil henchman in Titanic. That's probably what he's most known oh, for. Okay, yeah, yeah. Wait, I just figured it out. His name is John Glover, and he is in Gremlins to the New Batch. I have perfect, what? perfect, oh, nice. yes. I yes. don't remember him in that, but I'm gonna have to go back and 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 look for him now. I'm he's looking at like his picture. Big, He's like the rich guy. He's like the the main villain. Oh, or not the yes, villain. the guy, the guy like who owns the, the company. Yeah, the big stupid company. Yeah. yeah. Look at that head of oh, hair on that picture. The right goat. There on <laughs> oh, that's what awesome. a legend. That's awesome. <laughs> yeah, that's so sick. <laughs> yeah, I had no idea. 
Oh. Yeah, the the opening to this is kind of like a little bit like I mean, not that John Carpenter doesn't have a sense of humor and hasn't always had a bit of a sense of humor in some of the movies that he does, but this is definitely more openly sort of like funny and satirical in ways that John Carpenter uh, at least didn't do in the rest of this trilogy because like yeah. the thing uh, is really really bleak and serious. And Prince of Darkness has like a couple of character jokes, yeah. but like the actual sequencing of the horror in that, as we laid out with with Esther, is like really scary. Personally, Prince of Darkness is like the movie of his that really freaks me out the most, just because like it's so existential and surreal in like kind of like the uh, like Italian horror way, like something like Fulci, like the more metaphysical, yeah. like the beyond something like that is what it kind of reminds me more of. Yeah. Like uh, whereas the mirror world and all that. Mm-hmm. But the way that this just opens, like you can tell that John Carpenter at this point, he's had a couple of flops He's he's a little bit, I think, more cynical about sort of like the movie industry as a whole Mm -hmm. when he gets asked to make this. And also he didn't write this film. So uh, so a a lot of the films previously um, he had been writing. He didn't write the thing, but he did write like Prince of Darkness and Halloween and The Fog and, you know, Escape from New York and Assault on Priest. He wrote a lot of his movies. But this one, clearly, they had a script floating around that was a bit of an industry satire on. Um, horror authors, specifically uh, the most famous sort of like uh, townsy New England horror authors and Stephen <laughs> King and H.P. Lovecraft, because um, obviously the entire apocalypse cosmic horror idea is very um, uh, fitting um, for Lovecraft. A lot of people call the thing like one of the best Lovecraft stories that Lovecraft didn't actually ever write. So <laughs> it's John Carpenter, like applying that kind of style that he does, where it's a little bit surreal, it's a little strange, it's very sort of like um, dreamy and uh, inexplicable. Um, but also, you know, th- he's a little bit more sort of cynical about the actual industry itself and the way that you sort of like we sell these stories and horror to each other in interesting ways. And we see that sort of literalized in this screenplay as mm-hmm. like the main character finds himself basically in the plot of a really shitty paperback horror novel. <laughs> yeah. And John Carpenter has a lot of fun poking fun at that, um, at, at the idea of, you know, sort of existing inside you know these kind of tacky horror sequences in a way yeah i like how they and also mentioned that he Stephen actually King. still makes that scary at a certain point too yeah i also like that the little throwaway line where they mentioned that sutter kane is like even more successful than stephen king he makes so, stephen king look like garbage <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> did the 90s when this came out was there like the whole like if you read or watch scary or, or violent, like, like, like violence, if you watch violence and play violent video games that you'll like become violent. Cause that's clearly like what I feel like this is, I mean, with, with everyone reading it and then becoming like crazy, like psychopaths or whatever, oh, yeah. was that like a thing? Was that happening? Was that still like, a, I, yeah, was that like, yeah. That, that would have been like eighties, nineties when that was like okay. the hot, the hot button issue. Yeah, the yeah, hot def- button. Def- topic. <laughs> yeah, we talked about it before. Marilyn in the Manson early, and all that. Eighties. Yeah. Well, for well sure. I was gonna say also the video nasty and stuff like that, right? Where they were like actually censoring movies that had like bad content, like on home video and stuff oh. like that. Right. Um, yeah. So he. he Folks, a little fun at that, but uh, oh, yeah. he also he also did that a little bit in they they live right where he has like a oh, yeah. alien playing Roger Ebert or something and being like <laughs> the films of John Carpenter and George Romero are absolutely tasteless and uh, <laughs> yeah. 
Oh, I still need to see that. Fuck. For sure. So he definitely likes to to poke fun at the the pop culture icons, which I always appreciate. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But I but I I do appreciate that like pretty early on he starts like sort of having a kind of like fractured horror style with like the images of like the bloody axe and like the fanged creatures and he's drawing like black crosses all over himself and stuff like that and this whole thing yeah. is framed as like a uh you must be wondering how Sam Neil got here. <laughs> <laughs> Well, you must be wondering how he got here. <laughs> or record scratch. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I was you know actually what? I an insurance salesman. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Holy shit. <laughs> yeah, he also does the things are turning to shit out there, aren't they? Which is, I'm pretty sure that's the line that Joaquin Phoenix says in The Joker. Oh, it's like, really? things are getting what? out there, aren't they? Oh <laughs> my god, dude, someone should do a side-by-side. Yeah, someone, absolutely. Someone please do it. <laughs> in the audience, we need it to happen. We need this. <laughs> yes, but uh, broadly, Sam Neill is playing a, uh insurance company claims worker who goes in to uh, certain cases. Uh, he works for the insurance company and he looks at certain claims that companies are uh, or individuals are making and he basically just sniffs out you know, whether they are truthful or whether he can manipulate the system or not to make sure that the insurance company saves some money and doesn't have to pay anything out. It opens with him like very openly like manipulating a guy to uh, basically disprove his case about uh, like a his workplace got burnt down or something like that. And he basically proves that the guy committed arson yeah. so that they, they could claim the insurance money and now they don't have to pay it out. And he gets involved with this Sutter Kane horror author because he, the, the author goes missing and he has been missing for about four weeks. Um, and they make a really good point about, pointing out that he is just a no bullshit type person. He doesn't read terrible horror stories because they, you know, they're, they're fake. They're not real. They don't actually have any sort of value in the real world. Um, and he doesn't really believe in anything. He's a bit of a nihilist because he sees everyone as just constantly pulling, uh, cons and being fake and not being a real person. Mm -hmm. And that's what he immediately assumes has happened to Sutter Kane is that, Oh, he's got a new book coming out. He's disappeared. And everyone's talking about how, you know, they're, they're hyping him up in the news. And then everyone is fighting over the pre-orders for his book in the streets. Um, they are saying, uh, Sutter Kane, harmless pop phenomenon or deadly mad prophet of the printed page. (laughs) And he's like, that's a great headline. Him. So he immediately assumes that this whole thing is just a facade, basically, and that they are doing it as a marketing ploy to, you know, make sure that his his book sells. I like um, uh, I like too how there's one the connection to actually his character in Event Horizon, where he's like the logical guy that's you know not gonna yes. believe in the ghosts yeah. and all that kind of stuff. Oh my god, dude! And then, yeah, and then also there there's as the movie goes on and things just get more and more insane. I think it it works for a character to be very reserved and kind of fighting the whole uh, the supernatural aspect of it, so that by the time we get to like you know the scene where he wakes up in the blue shape, like the blue colored bus. That that image enough is for even us to understand that this guy has fucking just he's lost changed. it. Yeah, he's changed. Yeah, he's lost he's his lost mind. It. So uh, yeah, I just thought that that was a really smart decision, character wise. Yeah, no, for sure. 
Um, but the but but the whole thing really gets kicked off when he uh, is being asked to do this project and 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 basically investigate this claim that the uh, publishing company is is making that their author has disappeared on them and they want to be sort of compensated if he has disappeared with the book or not. Um, and be, but he is attacked wildly in the street by a man with the a- with an axe who is covered in blood. And he's like, do you read Sutter Kane is what he says to him. I love the way Carpenter frames this, too, because it's just them talking in a restaurant. And you see the guy go all the way across the the street in the background just through the window. And then he just smashes it. And I just there's a real just suspense to know that that guy in that background is is coming to change this guy's life (laughs) for the worse. Yeah, well, and, and we've talked about him a lot, but Carpenter is so good at widescreen compositions. Like oh, yeah. we, we talked about, in our Halloween episode, we talked about how much he uses the negative space and yeah. the way that sort of Michael Myers is like watching people. Um, and in, in Prince of Darkness, the way that he always uses sort of like implied space or holds on images that use a lot of foreground and background information. Mm-hmm. And that's just another example of that is you could shoot that scene of all of a sudden that guy just crashes through the window. And yeah. during their conversation and it freaks him out, but it's so much more tense yes. having this slow shot of watching us watching him very slowly creep <laughs> closer and closer. And then we find out that that guy is actually the author's agent who read the new chapters of the book and was driven to madness uh, because of it. And then thing, you know, he starts getting a little bit more like, oh, this whole thing has got to be a hoax. The whole mass hysteria, all the yeah, rioting, they're all connected to each other, that kind of thing. Yeah, he's 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 seeing posters on the street of the tagline where it's like, if this book doesn't scare you to death, you're already dead. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> when so the guy good. crashes in, I also really like the close up on his um his pupils. Mm-hmm. Like I'd I'd seen it before. I've seen this movie like once or twice before, but like that shot of the double fucked up eyes like really gets me. Yeah. It's like a changed person. Yeah. Like it's more than just like, he's gone crazy. He's like totally transformed into something else. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Well, and it it also fits into, um, largely the, uh, aspect of how Sutter Kane is kind of like seeing everything. Yeah. Uh, Mm -hmm. There's, there's a lot of like people come up to him and say, um, I can see he can see you and 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 things like oh, this. Oh, that's because, right. Because there's supposed to be this idea of kind of like your entire world is a fabrication by a, a, a shitty horror writer is kind of like <laughs> yeah. the idea. Um, so and and this whole movie is sort of like him, you know, starting to see the seams and trying to like come to terms with that a little bit because he doesn't believe in pulp horror novels. I forget the the exact quote. He he says something about them, you know, they're all the same, slimy things in the dark, someone goes crazy, something turns into a monster, you know, whatever. They're all that's that's what these what these stories are. Right. And then he finds himself like living inside of one and it's a you know, it's pretty effective, a lot, actually. It becomes a lot scarier yeah. all of a sudden. <laughs> I really like how how like skeptical he is, but I, I feel like, like when he, when he's sitting at home with the books and he starts putting them together, I feel like that is such a leap. Like, like each time I've watched this, I'm like, how the fuck did this, like this guy who's so skeptical and so steadfast in his skepticism until like almost the very end, he like draws this conclusion from these book covers 
to yeah. put them oh, together yeah. and and make the the map of the place. <laughs> I'm like, dude, like, how the fuck would you think that? Yeah, I, for, I forgot about. Yeah, I forgot about <laughs> that part too. And that is actually something I wrote down in my notes where I was like, I don't know how you came to that conclusion. How but did he do that? He's just yeah, a where, super where, where smart he guy. finds the location that he like wrote the books via that. Well, it does become a little bit more clear later in the film that again, every action that someone is taking in this was like pre-written by right. the author. Right. Sure. Sort of like Very the true. idea, like, like it's the same thing that that's why the guy with the axe actually tries to kill him because he because read he's in the book. Yeah. Yeah. He, he read his pages and was like, that needs to not happen and come true uh, because they know that him doing his pursuit that's been pre-written uh, is that he's going to basically unleash the apocalypse on everyone, which he does do. Right, <laughs> yeah. He does it. Good job, man. <laughs> He nailed it. One scene I really, really love is um, as they make their way to the small um, town, which I think is supposed to be just the um, highway scene. Is this the one with yeah. the kid with the old person on the bike? Yeah, yeah. Kid that so turns into the, yeah. Oh, it's so fucking good. But they're, they're, they're on the way to what is supposed to be like the author's hometown, which is supposed to be a reference to the HP uh, Lovecraft location that he sets like most of his stories in, like the color out of space story and stuff like that. Right. Uh, but they're on their way to that like small town. And they're basically doing like the lost highway uh, imagery of them driving through like a void. And all you see is like the yellow stripes basically as they're going. And there's there's a biker who goes by them and is behind them, like lit in like hellish red, like rear headlights. And she sees uh, like the kid on the bike and then it goes by and then the bike comes by again. And it's like an old man that just looks like John Carpenter. (laughs) It's really creepy. (laughs) It's awful. I hate it. It's really scary. It is imagery. And then and then they run over him on the car and they and they come up to him as he's been knocked off his bike. And what he says is so creepy. He says, I can't get out. It won't let me out. But it's an old man with a young boy's yeah. voice. Oh, the young boys. is yeah. so fucked up. <laughs> and and then, then when he drives away, doesn't or when he rides away, doesn't he like laugh? Like, yeah, softly? He like, and, and, he, and he like looks at them the whole time. Oh, I'm pretty sure there's also like this kind of very off-putting shot where she's looking at the the body of of who she just hit the kid and mm-hmm. then just as she's still looking at him he appears behind her and then gets on b- back onto the bike and then drives off so there's like this constant ghostly oh. feeling you know and maybe i just maybe i looked down at the wrong shot the wrong no 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 you're, you're, you're right like like he like the bike has fallen down in front of her and she's looking at him and right. then all of a sudden he's riding behind her and he's already right. on it and riding right. away and i what i love too is that there, this movie never really lets up like the the first the only normal moments that you get is the very first stuff when he is the the insurance agent and he's just yeah. kind of talking to people and then as soon as he gets on that highway it's just like a nightmare for an hour like it's it's crazy it really never lets up there's always something you know in the background whether it be maybe a a painting that's moving or or just something that's going on and and i i love that it's just there were constant twists and turns and and this start on the highway is just it's just so good like uh kind of the uh when she looks over and she sees that they're in clouds, like as if they're f- flying or something like that. Oh my God. Yeah. And yeah. then just kind of land into Hobbs end. So it's this, it's almost like they went through a, a portal or something into yeah. another dimension. <laughs> it's really cool. Oh yeah. That's exactly. Yeah. That's, that's what I thought it was. Yeah. Um, yeah. It's good stuff. 
Well, yeah, because there, there's there's later in 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 the film where obviously they like they try to get out, but it mm-hmm. becomes sort of like this this sort of like Mobius strip like loop. Like Silent Hill, like a you ever seen yeah, yeah. Oh, I gotta see Silent Hill. Kind of like that. I never. Maybe, maybe that this was uh, this inspired Silent Hill actually a little bit. Hmm. Could have done. Yeah, um, but been. I when when they get to Hobbs End, it kind of just becomes like a like small town like gothic conspiracy film. It reminded me a lot of uh, the one that we talked about with Trevor Henderson, Dead and Buried, which is oh, yeah. Uh, yeah. So good. <laughs> which which is like one where a guy goes to a town where they're kind of like reanimating the bodies, but the whole time he thinks that everyone in the town is alive, but there's something off about them. There's something wrong about them. And so he's sort of just like investigating like the small town um, sort of like a uh, gothic novel location almost and being like, what is up with this town? Why is there weird stuff kind of like happening here instead that, but it's, it's funny cause he's like literally in a pe- paperback, like, horror novel now and we said that that one felt like reading one a little bit just instead of zombies he has like just a bunch of like weird like apocalypse cult type people yeah um the the lady at the goddamn motel oh um, i love her oh fucking what's her name um mrs um tremend from twin peaks yes my girl that's cool (laughs) yeah that one shot of her like because they do like i think they tell the story of like her killing her husband just in a conversation somewhere. And then later on that image when they're just talking with her at the desk and it does a quick shot of her husband being chained to her ankle, like naked oh and scary as fuck. Oh my God. So it's good. so horrifying. Oh, <laughs> good Lord. Yeah. It's great. Like there's so many awesome images of that. And it, I don't know if you'd say like it all comes together and, some super meaningful way it almost seems to just like it almost seems to just be sam neill's nightmare like i yeah. I, I don't know if you guys got some like broader thing from it but because it seems to me like all the the horror and the scares are pretty disconnected it's almost just like uh almost like a all of sutter kane's monsters have come together to destroy this one man kind of thing yeah, yeah well, and, and it's 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 definitely like what I would call like Italian like nightmare logic horror set pieces, like something that you would see in like a uh, or Argento. Like I'm trying to think of like um, what's that Argento we did that wasn't Suspiria? I already forget the name of it. Is it, it Deep Red? Uh, Is it Opera? Is it uh, oh, Inferno? Inferno. 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 Fuck, Inferno. Yes. That's Inferno what this rips. reminds me of because Inferno is like a series of like really strange, inexplicable set pieces. Yeah. That yeah. They, they aren't really overall connected except for they are connected in like a sort of like descent into like freakish madness basically which in the mouth of madness you know that's what he's going for it makes (laughs) definitely and there's Um, always like a pervasive sense of dread like you're never safe yeah yeah in Mm. either film absolutely and and, and then it only like keeps multiplying because they have so many moments where sam neil wakes up and 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 like (laughs) and it is just once again in the nightmare and i i just uh so you know that can be very a cliched thing but i think carpenter applies it so often in this film that it just keeps getting more effective because then you yourself you just never know where you are like you're like am i in a fucking dream is this really happening like you know you kind of just take on the sam neill character a little bit the blue scene in particular is just so fucking good yeah like it's so simple but it's so at that point it's so haunting like you're like 
just make the colors normal for the love of God. Like, you know, like we don't need all this crazy surreal shit anymore. He doesn't need any more. Yeah, like just at the very least, don't make the guy see all blue. Just give him normal colors. God damn it. Protect Sam Neill. (laughs) The color blue. (laughs) Oh, by the way, I just looked this up. uh, So I just I'm throwing it out there. Uh, Apparently Hayden Christensen is in this movie. What? Yeah. Is he one of the creepy kids in the town? I think Please. he is because he's like really low on the uh, on the credit oh score God. here or the credit bar. And he's, yeah, the paper boy. He's, he's the paper yeah, he's boy. He's paper boy. Oh my God, he was the paper boy? Oh my God. I'm having a moment. That's hilarious. I need, yeah, I'm going to look this up too. I had no oh, idea. What? Yeah, that's him. Holy shit. That's crazy. Oh my God, dude, this is legendary. Yeah, this movie's oh, awesome. It even has Hayden Christensen, y'all. <laughs> <laughs> John John Carpenter discovered. Yeah, yeah. This was a breakout role for Hayden Christensen. Not Star Wars. It was in the Mouth of Madness. It was the paper boy in the Mouth of Madness. Absolutely. Star turn. <laughs> yes. Yeah, I I really love um, when John Carpenter goes like full at, when he goes into the basement of the church, and he goes like full. Uh, they find Sutter Kane, the author there, who was like, I have written the new Bible that helps you see. Yeah. And, and and he flashes her with the book. And then there's a bunch of crazy set pieces involving like these like goopy creatures like growing out of the back of his head. And then the woman in the motel starts turning into like a like a tentacle monster that is using tentacles holding like butcher knives to like chop up her husband in the basement <laughs> and also like chop up herself then there's like mutant children with like fucked up faces i love the mutant children they're so (laughs) creepy you only like there's that shot where oh what's her face linda is going to the church to meet uh sutter and they like accost her but they don't do anything they just call her like do they ask where's my mommy or they ask her if she they say something about mommy <laughs> and then it's just like that one shot, like there's a wide shot of like all of them, and then it closes in on one, and the face is all fucked up with like boils, but like it's not too weird. And then there's the little girl, and her face is really fucked up. She's got like like sharp teeth, like all sharp teeth. And like I think her eyes are all black. And it mm. and, and then it never goes back to that. It's just like, well, that's how these kids are here, I guess. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Crazy <laughs> demon children. They're just fucked up, I guess. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, because you, you do get a sense of like Sam Neill spends this entire movie um, basically like trying to have autonomy um, and trying to control his situation because he is a guy who sees through the con. He's the guy who is going to, you know, figure out what's really happening here. But what we are sort of sort of very moodily led to understand is that everyone else sort of in their own way, like kind of made peace with like the fate of they are fictional beings inside a universe that an author has written. And you do get like this kind of weird sadness on the periphery from like those characters, like the mutant children and like, like the weird mob meeting that takes place on the street. Like when he goes into that bar and the guy tells him like, I don't remember what came first, like us or the book. Yeah. And he's like, reality. And and he's like, reality is not what it used to be. You're all alone. I love that line. Oh man, that line in that, (laughs) that line, he says, reality is not what it used to be. And then I think Sam Neill says something. 
And I'm like, I, I'm taking a break from Twitter, but I wanted to, in my mind, I wanted to post something about like that having to do with like coronavirus or something. <laughs> it's like reality is not what it used to be. And then I forget what he says, but it just made me think about like the, the, times. the pandemic. Yeah, and the then times. I was like, oh yeah, this movie is like an apocalypse film. Oh yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. So relevant. Yeah, no, and, 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 and he does, he does say something about how, um, he says like you're all alone or something like that now as he's like grabbing the shotgun to like blow his own brains out right. and Sam Peel is basically like yo you don't have to do that man like we can you can we can control this we can do something and he says I have to he wrote me this way yeah. and then poof, goes off and there there is something like really scary about the idea of like you know not having any control yeah, predetermined destiny that it is that it is sort of predetermined and also there's something very funny about it being predetermined by like as, as they say it um fuck what's the what's the line oh yeah god's not supposed to be a hack horror writer <laughs> yeah. uh, because because they I, I think they say that he's like outselling the bible or something and so that's right. what he says um so so and and that's kind of funny because that's what he eventually has to come to terms with is that his god in this movie is a hack horror writer and John Carpenter also who a lot you know was called sort of like a hack genre filmmaker for a certain amount of his career in certain in Which is with certain ridiculous. films. Yeah, so so here he is sort of very like tongue in cheek using that of here's a guy yeah. who's like coming to terms with he has to live in in that sort of like universe and that it is actually way more creepy than uh he would have ever given a credit for like maybe he's like man maybe i should check out those books they seem pretty scary yeah one of one of my favorite scenes too is when there's a girl have... crab walking with her neck twisted off and maniacally oh. laughing oh. oh that shit yeah that Good image shit. was just that, that <laughs> definitely reminded me more of like his uh the thing kind of work for sure just that really crazy body just uh, contortion and all that that was that mm. was awesome i also really love the scene where he uh he talks in a confessional with Sutter Kane and he tells him that his books suck. I thought that was just <laughs> hilarious. <laughs> like he's like, he's gone through all this hell and he's just like, you know what, man? Still wants Fuck to tell him book. his books yeah. suck. <laughs> yeah. Still not a fan. It's scaring the hell out of me, but I still don't like your writing. It's great. I love that. You can't help yeah, it. Yeah, and, and 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 he and he he says that his his plot is that when people lose the distinction between reality and fantasy, that's what will summon back the old ones, the ancient ones or whatever that's going to kickstart the apocalypse. And so his, yeah. his entire career as a writer has been trying to sort of like blur those lines. And he's like, I've sold over 18 million copies. Uh, and uh, but yeah, that's where he says the thing about more people believe in my work than they do the Bible. Uh, <laughs> yeah. So, so it's becoming more real as, as a result that people are, um, latching onto it and then making it sort of real, which is sort of this interesting idea of how oh, yeah. uh, you sort of make this art to sort of like reflect real feelings that you have. And then you, it obviously has to go through the industry and be a product and be this fake thing that is right. uh, sort of like, I guess you would say it's, it's orchestrated in front of everyone. And it's cool. But then too, people cause... can have very real reactions to it. Right. Uh, the way that, like the rioters and people do in this film. <laughs> and the way you said that it's like, cause at the end of the movie, he ends up consuming 
that uh, that that it's art. Own story. The right? product. So yeah, yeah, the product exactly goes oh, to the movie theater, sits too. down, and just <laughs> watches the horrifying nightmare that he just went through. <laughs> oh, it's oh god, such a good ending shot. Well, yeah, and and that bit too, where where Sutter Kane, uh, like during the big climax when he's getting chased by like the literal like Cthulhu monster things, um, before he's getting chased and he's holding the manuscript, there is like an image where Sutter Kane like rips through what looks like the screen. I, I, I'd imagine oh, he rips away the- his face, right? Yeah, but like, it, yeah. It, it, it's also like he tears down the like the actual like projector screen, oh, right. right? And there are and the, words, yeah, and and like a uh, book, yeah, yeah. On the inside, it's pages of a book. On yeah, the side of the screen, and they actually make like, the prop to too, which I love, <laughs> like the giant page prop. Like it's all actually yeah. you know, oh, physical. Seriously? I just loved that. Um, oh, that's dope. And uh, the fact that at the end, not only does he watch the movie, but he like enjoys it. He laughs and and is like kind of it's kind of hysterical. He's definitely gone off the deep end, but at the very the, uh, least, he's enjoying his own story now. You know, it's, yes, it, it, it's the guy <laughs> sitting at the fire and going, "This is fine." He's having yeah. a great time. It's exactly. almost heartwarming. <laughs> exactly, exactly, fantastic. Yeah, I, I do really like too the sort of like mirrored, um, like predetermined aspect to it, where he also becomes the dude um, with the axe, and he like murders that kid in the street, which is how we find out oh, how God, he got put right. into the mental asylum because right. he go he goes back and he like burns the manuscript, but then when he returns and says, "Yeah, so Sutter Kane was an insane dude, and I got rid of that manuscript," and they were like, "What are you talking about? The the book's been published for like three months. Like the movie's <laughs> already been in production. It comes out like next month." Um, Linda and he's never like, came with him. Which, by the way, fastest turnaround on a, a book to movie I've ever seen. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, for real. <laughs> yeah, they got to work. <laughs> yeah, then then that boy at the bookstore comes up to him, and he's just like, and he's like, "Are you are you uh, enjoying the book?" And he's like, uh, and the, I think the kid says something like, "Yeah, it's great" or something. And he's just like, "Perfect." Then you will you will have seen this coming or something. <laughs> oh, <yeah>. then, <laughs> oh my god. <laughs> Hits him in the head with the axe. What a way to murder a child, or I guess a teenager, <laughs> or a teenager, I guess. But whatever. Yeah. So, but but then it gets judged like a meaningless hallucination, and then the apocalypse does kickstart. And outside his like cell, he sees like monsters tearing people apart, and he hears like the radio announcing that there's like monstrous creatures, including like mutated humans and an mm-hmm. outbreak of suicides and mass murders and extreme violence and everything. So like that. Walks <laughs> up to the movie. His first thought is, hey, let's go check out the movie version. And <laughs> I like that when he goes in, he gets, there's popcorn there. The apocalypse is still going, still going around, but he got himself a little, a little yeah. thing of popcorn. A Can't stop something. Hollywood. You can't stop them. <laughs> <laughs> Coronavirus the can stop Hollywood. That's but true, but they're trying to. But not this. <laughs> the best detail, too, is that um, the the in-universe movie, I can't remember the exact title, but it's not in the... Is it in the Mouth of Madness? It is in the Mouth of Madness. Okay, yeah. yes. So, so he is watching In the Mouth of Madness, and on the poster, it is in-universe directed by John Carpenter. But yeah, it doesn't even, star... Oh, it doesn't star it's like Sam Neill. It says no, the no, actual it, names. It, yeah, it, it says star. Or their character name. His, his character name, uh, John oh. Trent. Oh. Which is great still. 
But it would have been yeah. cool to see actually like Sam Neill on the poster. That would I think have been it would have been even funnier. But, yeah. it, but, but, it, but it is really funny too when you think about it that basically the publishing company was like, who do we get to adapt this <laughs> hack writer's novel? Yeah, yeah. Well, we get John Carpenter to do it. That's beautiful. <laughs> that's awesome. So that, he's that, even playing like a little tongue in cheek with himself too, which I love. Exactly, because yeah, when he sits down and he just starts watching the movie that we have already seen, and he he basically just gets to experience like every horrible thing he's just experienced was sold and packaged to the world and turned them all insane. Right. Uh, yeah. And everything we've witnessed just basically like folds in on itself, and it's it it is like a a, a pretty cool little piece of like metafiction at that point. Yeah. Yeah, I loved it. Yeah. Well, uh, pivoting towards the reductive rating round on In the Mouth of Madness, which for you, Brianna, is where we remove all the words, all the nuance, and give the uh, movie a rating between uh, one and five. Um, but if you have any last-minute things, we can definitely. Do but that. yeah, we, we yeah we we've also turned into like closing statements um, and any any like lines or scenes we didn't end up um, hitting. If but this one it. gets honestly this one this one gets a, a really high four for me this was pretty yeah. close to five but I, I was watching it for the first time i've been meaning to watch it for a long time i feel like i i i'll get the maybe the upgrade on on the rewatch because i do five both the thing and, and prince of darkness but i will say that there is an element to this that because it's like obviously doing a little bit of like a uh satire like doing a little bit of like the stuff that he did in in they live yeah um it some of the horror elements don't freak me out quite the same way that um, Prince of of Darkness did, and it doesn't quite get as um, metaphysical and vulnerable about like sort of like human existence in the face of the apocalypse, and you know, sort of like the violent breakdown and sort of like the mutilation and stuff that happens in that. Like, the, there's nothing in this that quite hits me like that shot of them pulling Satan's arm through <laughs> the mirror. Or, or um, the, the girl and, that's floating in the darkness and the light goes out, that kind of stuff. Oh my god, yeah. yeah. Just just like stuff that like really free and the and even the the stuff about sort of like beamed messages and video transmissions and right. you know, sort of like that VHS grain kind of making thing. Making the metaphysical like terror that they feel at the face of the apocalypse and rendering it in like bodily harm. There's a little bit of 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 that that um, I think the thing in Prince of Darkness just like really get under my skin in that way. This one didn't quite get there just because it's doing something a little bit different. It is like a little bit more fun to watch. Yeah. Like it's it's, it's a little mm. bit. Um, uh, it's still pretty crazy. Like this is still some of his craziest like like monster design work. For sure. Like the little tentacle creatures that like chase him around and stuff. But he's definitely definitely schlockier. You know, yeah, yeah. And, and very intentionally <laughs> so because he's making yeah. fun of a little bit sort of like schlocky horror writers sure. at the same time. And and there is a cool idea about how, you know, we are attracted to schlocky horror stories and a lot of people put their real fears and anxieties into those stories and then they sell them back to each other. And so much so that that like literally kickstarts uh, an, an apocalypse. <laughs> um, Hell yeah. So like... I I do get a lot out of this as like a metafictional um, horror story that is a, has an, a bunch of amazing like nightmare logic set pieces and stuff. But I do think that this is a little bit more like ironically cosmic horror than like plainly <laughs> yeah. cosmic horror, <laughs> For sure. um, which uh, which definitely you know made me feel like uh, I I need to know what it is a little bit more. 
yeah. next time I go to it. I feel like next time, now that I know that that's what it's going to be, I'm just going to see more details that I that I love inside of it. Because again, John Carpenter never found a schlocky premise that he couldn't like then you know, actually infused with meaning. And there is something kind of interesting about this idea of it opening on a book printing press and ending on like the literal screen translation of it. And in between yeah. all it was, was terrible horror and people killing each other and not understanding what the hell was happening. And that says a lot about, uh, existing right now. I feel like, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, for sure. Yeah. Um, I, yeah, I'm going to give it a, a high four as well. Uh, it did get pretty close to the five for me too. Um, it just might need some more time on it. Uh, I just, I loved from the moment that he's like in the car on the highway set towards, uh, Hobbs End. all those nightmare sequences were just, just amazingly entertaining. Like I loved not knowing whether or not I was in a, a nightmare sequence or not, like all the constant wake ups that Sam Neill has to do. And then realizing he's still in his demonic landscape is, is but that's awesome. literally just what reality is now. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Oh my God, just yeah. waking up just waking over up and over into again. A new nightmare. Yeah, yep. exactly. I, I loved, I loved that. And then at the end, it made me feel kind of like how I felt watching this film because of the satire. It's like you're laughing at certain things, but it's, you're also laughing at such like horrifying imagery all at the same time. So it makes you feel kind of like hysterical in that sense. And, and, uh, I, I, yeah, I, I really loved it. It was uh, a ton of fun and uh, I'll definitely be revisiting it. Cause I think it, it might be able to get to that five, honestly, I, I loved it. So we'll see, we'll see what happens. Yeah, I, I I watched it for the first time, I think a year ago, and I gave it a four. I thought it was like, when I watched it for the first time, like, I knew what to expect because I had watched like a review of it gotcha. on YouTube uh, for this channel that I really like. Um, and so that got me interested in it. So I asked for it for Christmas and I watched it with my parents. Um, and I thought it was like, yeah, they were like, I actually don't even remember how they reacted. Cause it's not like that. My parents are pretty squeamish, but it's not like, Super I feel like there's gory. not too, yeah, it's not yeah. really like the stuff that you, it's not really gory. And like right. the, the, what the, the body horror stuff is kind of goofy like it's yeah, not really yeah. that crazy or anything so i watched it with them and i think they were just like whatever about it and i thought it was like a little slow i don't know it didn't like gel for mm. me the first watch um but then when i watched it the other night i bumped it up to four and a half out of five because it's just like it's just really fun like there's obviously yeah. a lot going on with the satire and with you know the metatextual stuff and and the horror and and what what it says about how we consume uh horror and and suffering and, and pop culture and what it says about us but um i mean you know beyond that it's just like super fun there's just so much happening yeah, this, this yeah. is one of carpenter's like just mo <laughs> most plainly fun movies that's Absolutely. why i was saying that like unlike this honestly reminded me a little bit less of his other apocalypse trilogy movies and it reminded me more of they live which is like Absolutely. a fun satire yeah. it's like the thing um, is not like fun in that way at fun all, at all. <laughs> yeah, i mean it's, a, it's fun yeah. quote unquote but it, like in a different way where you <laughs> yeah. want to be horrified and you want to suffer <laughs> yeah exactly exactly is, it is fun for sickos yeah, <laughs> yeah like for, us for us exactly <laughs> Woo! for this show <laughs> But yeah, no, it's just straight up like a it's it's a it's a romp. I would call this movie a romp. It's a fun time. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> yeah, well and, and and part of it should be mentioned too, guys, we're gonna continue talking about him on the next film, is that like 
I don't know. Sam Sam Neil is kind of just like funny. Yeah. He's, he, I mean, he, Sam, he always yeah. he, he always plays kind of like a like a, a little bit of like a straight character, a straight man kind of thing. Or like you know, again, he's going to play like the logical one in 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 the next film as well. But like, there is something sort of funny and pathetic about his breakdown sometimes and like yeah. him trying to make so much sense of something that is clearly just like Without insane. Sense. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> yes. Cause even like he's at, there's a point in the movie where he's literally, I think it's like an hour in. So he's, he's been exposed to quite a bit and he's looking at the ritual of like the torches and the people surrounding like a, a girl or something. And he's still oh, kind yeah, of like, like arguing dancing. like, this could be logical. There's got to be an explanation for this. You're like, oh, yeah. you're like, dude, you're just about. give it up, man. <laughs> so yeah, yeah, it's, it's yeah, great yeah, though. He, he already tried to drive away and found himself locked in the loop on the, on, the, on the street. And he's like, still trying to make sense right. of it. Yeah, it's yeah, and, and and then and then he saw the woman crab walking with her neck twisted, and uh, <laughs> th- that's when he talks to Sutter Kane in the booth, and Sutter Kane straight up says, "You're always looking for the con. Even now, you're trying to rationalize, even though I'm straight up telling you on screen, this is it, baby. I wrote your world, and it's fucked up. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like your shit's fucked, bro. <laughs> yeah, well, your books suck anyway." <laughs> Such a good yeah. line. It all comes to all comes together. Yeah. Movies movies awesome. Movies awesome. Hell yeah. Hell yeah. Hell yeah. All right. Well that'll wrap it up for uh In the Mouth of Madness. We are gonna be right back and we are gonna be talking about Event Horizon. The ship is reacting to us and the reactions are getting stronger. What are you telling me? That this ship is alive? Oh. I have such wonderful things to show you. Oh my god! It knows my secrets. It knows my fears. Vacate, I want off this ship. I can't leave. She won't let you. God help us. Alright, event horizon time. Woo! Let's do it. Let's fucking let's fucking go. Yeah, boy. <laughs> I'm ready. Infinite space, infinite terror. <laughs> Is that the tagline? Yep. Oh yes, yeah, so good. <laughs> All right, we're back. We're back. That's how we and jump. We through. are talking Event <laughs> Horizon, the nineteen ninety-seven science fiction horror film directed by legendary Ochoer Paul <laughs> W. S. Anderson. Oh yeah, baby. The man, the myth, the legend. As I've said before, this this entire show is just one long grift for me to get Jamie to accept Paul W. S. Anderson as a uh, as an auteur. That's the <laughs> you know that's, what, that's the existence of this podcast. I'm, I'm looking at the films that I've watched from him, and I think I've liked every single one. So uh, so far, oh. so far, it's working. Yeah, I like Resident Evil, time. AVP, Mortal Kombat, Death Race remake. So, yeah. Didn't he also direct that Pompeii movie with the guy from Game of Thrones? He did. Oh, wow. <laughs> I don't think I saw that one. Oh, my God. You got to get on it, I guess. And <laughs> then he spent he spent an entire decade and a half uh, just taking the IP of Resident Evil and making <laughs> yeah. uh, Matrix movies with his hot wife. Yeah, <laughs> pretty much. The ultimate wife guy. He is the ultimate <laughs> wife guy. <laughs> Yep, and now and now he's working on uh, Monster Hunter, where Mila Jovovich is literally just playing a character that she played when she, when she was playing the game. She was like, "Yeah, I just customized my character to have these sick weapons and costumes, and 
Paul is just like letting me uh, use the the sword and outfit and armor that That's I chose when I played the awesome. game. I'm excited. Maybe he'll make one of the. I mean, there's a couple video game movies at work, but like they're pretty much famous for being horrible. So that would be really <laughs> nice to, for him to make a good one. Mortal Kombat's good. I like Mortal Kombat. So who directed yeah, well, that? And, and, uh, Paul um, W.S. Anderson. Oh, he did that too. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, well, actually, that'll bring us into Event Horizon because actually Event Horizon came about because Mortal Kombat was such a success. Oh, okay. Thank you, Mortal Kombat. Yes. Thank you. You You owe it all to Mortal Kombat. So you're going to have to go back and watch it. You're going to have to check out all the fight scenes. It's cheesy, but I really enjoy the first one. I really like it. Yeah, we did an episode with it. What did we do that? Oh, we did it with Street Street Fighter. Fighter. Yeah, which wasn't as good, (laughs) but Mortal Kombat was, was good. Hmm. Yeah, but Mortal Kombat was a really big success, and um, he was actually basically the talk of the town because he turned like what people thought was like a really garbage video game product into like a passable film that made a lot of money. So that's yeah. what Hollywood really cares about. So they were like, <laughs> um, they immediately offered him obviously Mortal Kombat Two, which I believe he turned down, and then they actually offered him, and I imagine this world, uh, they offered him X Men. Oh, what? that would have been sick. Paul W S Anderson's. X-Men, oh, what could have been? And also, yeah. he should have got MK2 because the second one is, like, so bad. <laughs> the second one? Yeah. second one is called Annihilation, I think. I just, I don't even know who did it. It's, uh... Oh. But it's, it's not good, as far as okay. I remember. So yeah, Paul so brought he, the heat on that one, for sure. Yeah, so he, he, he turned down Mortal Kombat Annihilation, which was directed by the Annabelle and Wishapon guy. No! <laughs> okay. <laughs> really? Yep. <laughs> oh, oh, that's tragic. That is. Um, and the reason he turned it down was because he really wanted to make a full out R rated horror film. He said that he really loved horror films and he's nice. always wanted to make like a full out, really gory, really disgusting horror film. So uh, Paramount sent him this sent him the script, which from what I understand, when he first received it, he felt was just like a straight rip off of Alien. Like it literally was yeah. just like it, yeah. it was a it, it was a full out creature feature Mixed like with, it like, had Doom, like, i guess yeah it, it had like aliens on the ship um and they were like tentacled and like he was like i want oh. more of like a sort of like possession haunted house kind of story in space something a little bit more um metaphysical than necessarily literal so he's the one who actually incorporated in the writing all of the elements to do with sort of like the dimensions to hell and the idea of like a spirit coming back and like a spirit taking over the ship and and all of that stuff oh that's awesome to try and separate it a little bit from alien so he was like yeah i was i was more really into things like the shining and stuff so he was like that i wanted a little bit more of that in my space horror movie because alien had already been made he's like what's the point of making alien again and i think it's a great way to like (laughs) throw it into science fiction because you know he has that explanation that's also i didn't even notice uh but it was uh, a the one that they use in interstellar when they're explaining the whole like trance yes uh Going from one point of the uh, galaxy to the other, or whatever the folding, and then going through oh, with the, that the whole paper. thing. Um, yeah, the, the the fastest line, the fastest route isn't a straight line. It's literally folding like the entire reality, so that the two yeah. points are uh, like in the. And that's a great idea to have whatever. with this kind of like supernatural, ghostly phenomenon that's going on. Um, just to, mm. I don't know if you, you'd say it's like a scientific explanation, but it's kind of cool that they go for it. You know. Yeah. 
Yeah, well, and I mean, they they also pull apparently from uh, a little bit of that. They pull it from Warhammer forty thousand or whatever. Okay. Apparently, the writer said that um, that was like a really big inspiration because their starships in that, I guess, do like uh, th- this thing called the warp, which is like the exact same thing that they describe. And by doing that, actually, they enter places that are infested with like demons, did and they, there are ideas about sort of like ships and possessions and things like that. Did they mention Doom at all? They did not mention Doom, but okay. Doom you you would have to think would be a little bit because yeah, it's just the, same the straight thing. up dimension like the, of hell. Yeah, the portal <laughs> to hell through Mars or whatever. So yeah, it is it is a crazy like combination of yeah, it's like, like a lot of science concepts. fiction thrown together. That's what it felt like while I was watching it. Make yeah, it because- like the I don't know the 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 the, the combination of um, the well, I mean obviously sci-fi and horror has been like obviously I mean obviously it's like comparable to Alien. I was thinking yeah. during this rewatch, it was only during this rewatch that I and I it was probably because I also recently rewatched Alien a couple weeks ago too that I was like the initial concept is very Alien like reminiscent, but like the way that they do horror and sci-fi in this just really like I like Alien a lot like obviously Alien's a great movie but for me personally I love this a lot more because I love the kind of horror that they're working with here a lot more than Alien Mm, just personally just just the concept of finding a portal to hell in outer space (laughs) is like when I first watched it like I thought this movie was scary as fuck not and the men- concept yeah. is creepy to me. And not to mention the way that they have, like, everything feels so real in this. Like, the sets feel like there's a weight to them. The 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 design of the He's spinning so ball. and design the, in oh, general and stuff. Yeah, like, like even oh, the, yeah. the details of, like, the inner workings of the computer and the ship. Like, when Sam Neill goes into that kind of, like, cube-esque space where it's all green and it shows oh, the all green. the chips. Yeah, like, that kind of stuff was was fantastic. Like you really did feel like you could uh, like almost draw out the la- the the layout of the ship. It's very and well like, done that way. The sound is really good in this, too. There's like a scene where um, that stands out where the, the they first enter the event horizon and the, the the globules. I forget what that is. The globules. Themse- Do you know what I'm talking about? Like the there's something leaking oh, in the right. ship. Right, and the yeah. globs, the globs themselves look really cool, but then the noise they make is like <laughs> so visceral. And there's like a few, there's multiple other moments where there's like squelching yeah. and like like just really visceral, disgusting noises. Yeah, yeah, it, it's so good. It, it, it's worth mentioning that, um, like the version that we have is is actually like quite gross but the version that was supposed to exist of this yeah, movie I wanted to bring this up. Was, uh, was supposed to be absolutely repulsive like, the lost version I, I think that's part of the reason that I was kind of held back on it cuz I did read that mm-hmm. prior to watching the the film and mm-hmm. and as much as like the stuff that they do show is really good and 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 even it kind of cool it works in a cool way that it's just flashes of incredibly yeah, detailed yeah. when I watched this when I was young I found uh, the 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 sequence where they flash back to the footage of the, the previous orgy. cruise log where <laughs> the they're orgies. yeah where they're basically like cannibalizing and like raping oh, each other in like God. a full like blood orgy especially that and, one shot of the guy holding his eyes like, oh yeah and then saying something I don't even know what he says maybe it's in Latin or some he shit he says the Latin yeah yeah and so, he's so how, his how eyes, fast just, that oh. was cut like really just like and how 
quickly he like basically like sort of fragments those images into your mind just like really freaked me out because i watched this uh i think my my dad had a copy of this on dvd and he had also the kurt russell one soldier which is also paul ws anderson where he's like you know sort of like a sci-fi movie where they pick kids from birth to be like brutal killers and they train them and stuff and Kurt Russell's in it. Either way, it's, it's actually pretty good, but that was why I was able to watch this and it's pretty gross, but it's not like Event Horizon gross. So when I put this one in, like I just watched this when I was like way too young. It joins like Child's <laughs> Play and Robocop yeah, as yeah. in like movies that I'm like, hey, those look cool. And then they have absolutely, just absolutely disgusting things in them. And they've been and imprinted yeah, like, in like, your brain like when, forever. Well, yeah, when Jason Isaacs gets dissected and hung Aww. upside down and all his guts are on the floor. I like that it's such a like, far away shot of it, too. Like, you don't get very close. I, yeah. I feel like that's such a good way to present that as just wide and you, you don't, you don't, you, you see enough. You yeah. don't need to see any more than than what it shows yeah, that, you. That, that death reminds me of like a death that you would see in like the Hannibal show. I was going to say, <laughs> yes, yeah. Yes, yes, yes. It reminded yes, I was me totally of, thinking that. Yeah, Hannibal. And then obviously I think this would probably be... Uh, uh, inspired by by Hannibal and maybe this movie as well, but the Midsummer death as well when that guy's hung. Oh, <laughs> yeah. oh my god, he's oh. like hung up in the same way too. Yeah, yeah, totally the same. Yeah. Speaking speaking of new movies ripping off of this, by the way. Uh, <laughs> oh, this. Uh, I, feel like I, was, I know where you're going with this. Maybe. Well, I was gonna say because you you posted uh, a, a screenshot side by side of Annihilation. Oh take- yes the bit of like the the blood veins and like it corpses really running up a wall like mold yeah. or like vines or something kind of like sure. it felt like it was like it was it felt like it was like one with the ship when they when they yes. present that like theme, it's organic it looks like it's organically growing off of the ship and it and right. it reminded me of the pool scene from annihilation yeah, so there, there's that, yeah. but then also they also find the previous crew's log where like their intestines are moving inside yeah, their bodies. Right. Oh my god. So I, I was I was sitting there going, man, annihilation. He was like uh, oh. pulling pulling from Event Horizon. Come on, buddy. Come on. Uh, I, oh my God, I already forget his name. That's terrible. I've interviewed uh, 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 Alex, Gar- Alex, <laughs> Alex Garland. Alex Garland. <laughs> Alex Garland. <laughs> that guy. Sorry, I Alex. wanted to go back and talk about the um the what's what what was I thinking? Um oh the lost the lost cut of this movie. I I feel like the only way this movie could really benefit from additional footage is like and there probably isn't any cuz what happens to the crew is what happens to them, but I almost wish what happens to the crew was gorier cuz yeah. I feel like what we see from what happened to the previous crew is enough and I think it it works it's what I like about the movie is that it only shows us these very little bits. Like I love like my favorite kinds of horror movies, unless it's like an ex I'm wanting to watch an excessive gory horror movie. Like when I really want to be scared, I want a horror movie to have restraint and to only show me like a little bit. Cause I find that like so much scarier. Right. Your brain does the rest of the work. Exactly. So when they show us these little bits, we we only know so much of what happened to this crew. And I think that is far scarier than what excess they could show us of it. Yeah, I I, I do like when they reference later on in the film, like the exact same kind of editing tactic where he's showing him flashes of what hell is going to look like for all of the crew. (laughs) And they they have like the shots of like the rotting flesh and like the maggots and them being crucified like hellfire. And And they're all just through the guy's face. 
Mm-hmm. I love that one. But I but I know that Anderson does really wish that we got because apparently it, it wasn't even just gore that was cut. Like it was like there was more story elements and stuff oh. that were that were cut. I did there was, feel um, that was one thing. I felt like like some certain characters, like two or three, maybe get a little bit of a of a background. But I would have liked a, a little yeah, like bit Larry, more. L- Larry Fish is pretty well explored. Yeah, he's good. Yeah, speaking yeah, of which, and, Lawrence and, Fishburne and is in the film. Sam, awesome. And I also think the uh, I can't remember. She's a doctor. I can't remember her name. But she has the son, um, oh, and I yeah. really like that first interaction that they have with uh, Lawrence Fishburne because he's asking like, "Hey, I'm super sorry that I couldn't get you to like home on time for to see right. your to see your son." And I just I thought that established a really good understanding that Lawrence Fishburne is a good captain who actually cares about his crew. And that she, you know, just has a son waiting back back home. Whereas some well, yeah, of the and, other and, crew and don't really have that, that alien aspect too of like, you know, the idea of sort of that that it came up with of like the idea of like blue collar workers in space. Yeah. Like yeah, here's a woman sure. who should be getting vacation time, but instead right. the company is like, no, we have an extracurricular mission for you guys that <laughs> we haven't checked out safety protocols for at all. And you're going to basically just go on to this ship that disappeared like seven years ago and we know nothing about where they were or what happened to them. And you're going to check it out. And of course, same thing they do on Alien when they answer a distress call. Things go white (laughs) real bad. Yeah, real bad. (laughs) And this time around, too, they sent uh, not that they would know, I guess, but they did send Sam Neill as the as the engineer. And he ends up, you know, basically being like in love with his creation, I guess, and unwilling to destroy (laughs) it. it. So uh, that that part of it, too, really dooms them. (laughs) Yeah. And also, I I, I mentioned that I like that he goes pretty in, insane here and I like how his transition to insane is like completely motivated by sort of like the the emotional experience of his um, wife's suicide which is I guess I guess partially what drove him to kind of like be the bit of the workaholic yeah. and do the creation that he makes so he connects it to his wife's death and apparently there is supposed to be more content and extended scenes about his wife's suicide and stuff because that's uh-huh. supposed to be kind of like a big motivating factor obviously for, for sure. uh him not being able to abandon the ship and kind of bringing on this new uh, version of humanity, I guess, which is uh, very hellish. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And even like just speaking on his kind of, you know, scientific mind, it, it seems even by the end when he's that kind of like he's got all the cuts over him and he almost looks like a like a demon himself. He even says to the uh, guy, I think it's Lawrence Fishburne, uh, he says that um, it's hell. It's something along the lines that like reality is much scarier than your concept of hell. Like hell is just hell is just a word. Reality is much scarier. That's, I think, the line. And uh, oh, no, 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 it's not that he says hell is just a word, but it's much worse than that. It's oh, nothing okay. to do with reality. It's I'm hell. I'm certain he said. Uh, he says oh. reality. No, I think check. it's. Yeah, I think it's hell is just a hell is just a word, but or you think that hell is just a word, but it's so much worse than that. Oh, see, I'm putting five hundred dollars on it now. I am right. right. <laughs> <laughs> I have it. Well, I have it written down as hell is only a word. Reality is much worse. Oh yeah, yeah I'm, I'm going to look for it now. I want it. I want it PayPal if I win this. Okay. down. So IMDb has it as you know nothing. Hell is only a word. The reality is much much worse. But he is saying the reality. Oh, yeah. of the reality hell. is All right. hell. Boom. It's a stalemate. It's a stalemate. Woo. That's a yeah, draw. You, 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 nah, I win. Nah, that's a draw. 
All right, all we'll right. both send I, each I, other two hundred fifty dollars. All right, that works. Yeah. So you were you were just missing a word there, Jamie. It wasn't reality is much much worse. It's the reality is much much worse. I mean, I would argue that he's still putting it into like this current reality that they live in, kind of thing. But yeah. hey, but hey. I know what you're but, saying. But he is specifically talking about the idea of hell is that you only envision hell. You can't properly imagine how bad it actually is, which is why he then later goes up to him and touches his head and shows him what it's going to be like. Right. Uh, which is, which is, you know, pretty freaking scary. Bad, there's lots of, there's, there's lot. Yeah. It doesn't look good. I guess what I'm saying is that he's like, crazy about he, it. he views it even at the end of the day, like it, it, comes beforehand it seems like it's kind of like a concept or something like that whereas mm-hmm. i guess this is him showing that it's tangible like i'm gonna yeah i can put yeah, you yeah. into yeah. this dimension and yeah for sure well because it, it definitely starts out as like kind of like a, an evil spirit and it, it appears in like hallucinations and and things like that and then the the idea of the film is to then render that in sort of like the tangible bodily experience that they end up having, which, which is why I think actually that, you know, I, I do agree with, um, um, Brianna that like this works in the form that it's in, yeah. like, like the oh, way yeah. that there's For only sure. interspersed, um, gore is still like, I, I think it's like effective in the way that he's had, he's been forced to cut it down. Yeah. But the fact that he does want to address this idea of it being sort of like this sort of more spiritual or intellectual idea and then rendering it tangible, it, right. there would actually be a sort of a thematic purpose for oh, having yeah. more of a bodily experience that these characters go through. Because he does right, show right. portions of it and the descriptions he's made about what that video log looks like in full, mm-hmm. where he like hired uh, like real amputees to like, uh, yeah. And, and he hired porn actors for like graphic nudity. All right. (laughs) I, I I do love this. I love this movie as it is. I definitely do. It is a perfect film to me, but that being said, like if there was ever some way to get the full, (laughs) I I obviously want that, but isn't it like lost forever? It's yeah, like lost he, forever, isn't he, it? He said he says that all of the original footage is basically gone, except Ugh. for a VHS copy of their two-hour and ten-minute rough cut that they uh, have. Well, I want to see that. Yeah, we need the pornographic version real quick. <laughs> Dude, I want that. <laughs> Fuck. Yeah, Paramount was like, absolutely not. We are absolutely cutting this down. And also, <laughs> they were on time constraints because something about something to do with they had to have it out before Titanic because they <laughs> thought the Titanic was going to like completely destroy them or something like that yeah. so well, they they wa- they wanted to have uh it out which is how you know he only had like four weeks of editing versus like the eight he was supposed to have or something uh, like that okay. and they were like it has to be you know like 95 minutes like it can't be any more it is a that. tight 95 both of these movies notwithstanding the other similarities but they are both like a tight 95 yeah perfect yeah which oh, I, yeah. I do love <laughs> That length of a film, I gotta say. Oh yeah, it's good. It's real. But I, but films. but again, it's it's also Sam Neill just sort of having a bunch of nightmare experiences. This time he's just having them in like these beautifully like designed sci-fi spaces. I absolutely yeah. love that design of the uh, the ship's heart, like that. Oh, with the globe and ball. the yeah. 
It's really yeah. good. Also, it also, looks so real. Like, how did they do that? Is it CGI or is it like some sort of miniature or like? Oh yeah, it's it's a it's a. I think it was a combination of miniature and set. Nice that one. Yeah, because cool. it's unbelievably real looking. Almost everything. Yeah. In this. Even when they enter that kind of like eye shaped hallway, that long corridor, it looks right. Like everything looks like you could touch it. It's on. It's really really good set design. Um, has such a depth. Yeah. Well, yeah, and, and as we've said when we talked about Resident Evil, like Paul Douglas Anderson, uh, and also with Mortal Kombat, actually, uh, which also had really amazing set design and production design, like that fight they do in Hell uh, yeah. at one point in Mortal Kombat. Oh yeah. Uh, like it, like it's just his his main thing. I think he got into movies partially as like someone who just loved like building sets and stuff. So yeah, um, like he. It. So his camera work really reflects that in the sense that it like really observes all of the spaces. Um, and then he populates it with these people who are going through these nightmarish experiences and then them just being like absolutely ripped apart, like by those experiences like Lawrence Fishburne is haunted by like a crewmate who he lost, who keeps coming back to him in visions yeah, of like guy. a man on fire. Yeah. <laughs> like, which by the way, another, um, we're going to be talking about some, I think two movies that have people on fire next week. Either way, we, we watch all the movies at once. So it was really funny watching so many movies uh, related to each other in this sense. Cause we're also yeah. going to be doing, I think like a uh, possession exorcist thing next week too. Oh, <laughs> so, that's yeah. so good. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, no, I, I really think that he did a good job in, especially that he looked at the script, which was so blatantly like an alien ripoff and then doing his own thing entirely. Like the horror is completely different in how, it yeah. is like people walking through these nightmare hallucination sequences and then and it no starts driving to it either. No, not at all. It's just it's just creepy. Like when she goes after um, her son and then the son like leads her to fall and that Ooh. shot of the dummy falling and hitting the sides of his set and like looking like her neck and legs are breaking yeah. hitting the ground and like exploding and it's a full wide blood. shot too of her just yeah. laying down on the cr- on the like that crate it's oh man it's uh yeah it looks very painful <laughs> yeah with just like broken limbs and, and stuff like that yeah. and even if you like Alien, you and you liked like the brief sort of interludes where they talk about a little bit of like the philosophical elements of, and stuff. There's a little bit of that in here. Jason Isaacs speaks Latin, apparently. Right. Oh, yeah, he's, <laughs> just, he's just a he's just a fucking uh, spaceship like medical guy who just happens to know Latin. So that's yeah. a great coincidence. Yeah. Really like comfortable. Yeah. <laughs> really. Helps Thank him. God. Helps him out. Uh, yeah. I also like their like slow kind of descent into discovering all the things like even something very subtle like the way jason isaacs when there's there's a moment where they're all kind of fighting and jason isaacs to calm the one guy down i guess uh puts a scalpel to his (laughs) neck and then kind of realizes like oh fuck i just did that okay and i i liked how it slowly got into the craziness uh, uh as it went because um, it does take a little bit. I mean, you have your yeah. your images here and there, but that lasts like half an hour. It's just it's nonstop. I, yeah, Sam Neill's like descent is also. I feel like it's it's from the get go. I mean, once oh, you yeah. once you're introduced to the spinning orb that opens the gateway to hell, you have the shot of him <laughs> with it in his eye. Yeah, like he sees it in his eyes. So you already know its influence is like there. Yeah, and like watching his gradual because it's been with him the whole time and just like i guess being with it again is like bringing it all back out and now right. he can kind of go well, into full bloom 
Yeah. Well, yeah, and, and think and think about the opening scene too, where he has the nightmare about his wife for the first time, but it it transitions into um, the original event Horizon crew as like the camera sort of like moves through the ship with all the right. floating objects in it, and then it finds the one dude's body who has like cuts all over his body as he suddenly like awakens and screams, and the camera like goes into his mouth, yes. and then it wakes up into nice. Sam Neill waking up from the nightmare. Yeah. So like he he like he sets up in the opening shot exactly yeah. where this film is 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 going, um, and Sam Neill is basically just an accelerationist. He's just like we should just fucking let hell in. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I love his gradual like every every little thing that happens to them. He just has some like half-assed excuse as to why they should ignore it and just keep staying on the ship. And it's just so funny and like I love when so- <laughs> I love when Fishburne get at, is at the point where he's just like all right fucking stopped like, I know, stop, yeah, he's stop like, giving I me this bullshit. bullshit yeah i am done <laughs> what is happening there are obviously demons stop saying it's not demons uh, i think i think they i i love how they quickly i feel like believe that the ship is haunted i yeah. feel like they get on board that there's some <laughs> right nasty away. shit going on like right away and <laughs> sam neil is still like well, I, I don't know guys there's there's another explanation for this but all of them are like it's ghosts yeah, yeah, it's fantastic. I also the the just speaking on kind of the the gore and the the violence and stuff. That one scene with um, I believe I can't remember his name. He's the younger kid. They call like Baby Justin. Bear or something like that. <laughs> yeah, Justin. Justin and uh, uh, his that one shot of him as the decompression is happening. Uh, and oh, he's and his eyes his and eyes, mouth. and it's just blood, blood like floating in the air, <laughs> and his veins are popping out of his arms and stuff. Like that's just that stuff is so effective. It was, that was yeah, hor- absolutely horrifying. Really good space horror, right there. <laughs> yeah, well, and and that's followed by uh, Sam Neill like dissecting Jason Isaacs and letting his guts fall everywhere, and yeah. then tearing out uh, his own eyes because he's like, "Where we're going, you won't need to see." <laughs> yeah and he's like the ship is pure chaos pure evil it's alive and he says look at her isn't she beautiful <laughs> and and Lawrence Fishburne gets like uh, a Hannibal line two decades before he would ever get a Hannibal line and he says um your beautiful ship killed its crew doctor <laughs> <laughs> yeah <laughs> yeah Wait, but also so Sam Neill, like, he scratches his eyes out, but then he has his eyes back again when he goes full, like, oh, yeah. he has no hair and he's all scratched up and he's full, like, how, like I don't, know, I don't back really in. question, yeah, his <laughs> eyes, like, pop back in, it's like he's fully transformed. Well, well yeah, I was gonna say, I was gonna say, at that point, he can, like, transition his form, apparently. Oh, yeah, because I because, because, yeah. because he goes from the guy who's burning and being a vision. Right. Um. Or yeah. Lawrence Fishburne to then yeah, turn so it's into almost Sam. like Sam becomes the the ghost that's been scaring them the whole time. It's weird, like he's taking yeah. on the shapes of their fears. Uh, yeah, because it, yeah. well, it seems like he kind of like welcomed the possession, unlike yeah, everyone else yeah. who was sort of like resisting it. Absolutely, he saw like an opportunity to sort of like I guess sort of like be back with his wife in a way. This is a Christopher Nolan movie now. Yeah, um, <laughs> dead wife. <laughs> I feel like he also wants to embrace the like the hedonistic pleasure of it, just accepting the carnal like yeah, desires. For sure, I think so too. It might be like a way of him kind of 
letting go of the pain of losing his wife and just embracing all of the the hellishness. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Very just good. like it, it, it's already pure chaos. So let's just let's just <laughs> let's just have a good, a good time. That's a good motto for now. Demon actually. orgy, it's everybody. Already pure chaos. <laughs> yeah, it's time for the demon orgy. Let's go. Fuck yeah, tits out. <laughs> um, <laughs> tits out, dicks out. Let's do this. <laughs> well, and, and, and it's <laughs> you guys. Anyway, yeah. Look, Sam, look, look, Sam Neill said it, okay? Sam, he said it in the movie. If you watch it, you'll see. For sure. He totally said it. <laughs> that was one of the deleted scenes that uh, Paul W. Sanderson <laughs> had to get rid of. When Sam Neill says tits out. <laughs> <laughs> tits uh. out for Satan. <laughs> right. And, and, and then that's when the image of the giant tank filled with blood just explodes everywhere. Oh, yes. <laughs> another great scene. That's another very oh. Shining-esque scene. Yeah. yeah, he literally stole out. that from the from the elevator scene. Yeah, for, for sure. sure. Well, and, and do you know what sucks about this? This whole thing is that Paul W. Sanders, w. Anderson basically never made a gory film again because of this experience. Yeah, not awesome. Because because Are the evil movies not. I like well, saw part of one when I was like in middle school, and it scared me too much. There are there's, moments. There's, there's some, but there's not as much as like there probably should be or it's could be. It's not as in your face either. Like it's it's more yeah. subtle. It works. It's really effective the way he still directs it, but it's not like like you don't get those like hard flashes of somebody with like a cut up face and screaming mm. and all that kind of stuff. No, there's a, there's nothing like the Jason Isaacs uh, death in this, and there's yeah, nothing right. like Sam Neill tearing his eyes out kind of deal. He he basically like was turned off from having a studio meddle so much because of the graphicness of the content. So he yeah, was basically like, might I just, have some of the violence uh, in there, but that was one of the, it was like a, I think like a straight to DVD kind of thing anyway. So it wasn't a big picture for him. I, I don't know a hundred percent, but mm, mm. death race does have some of the violence, but nothing once again, though, nothing like this, you know, nothing like this. Yeah, no, it's, it's, it's really nasty movie. I always forget every time I turn it on because like the like design of the ship and much of the first half of the movie is just like really antiseptic. So like yeah. a lot of it is like kind of, I mean, it, it still has a little bit of like that, again, that blue collar space thing where some of the textures are like a little dirtier, right. but like it's, it's still like a sort of like a clean spaceship type thing. And it, it's not until they, when they hit that ship and they start <laughs> having the hallucinations and then the bodily violence starts hitting that it goes like full, sci-fi horror yeah. and it does it does remind me a little bit honestly of of hellraiser which is apparently what he wanted the full version yeah to be like. i've seen comparisons oh that's to the cool. two yeah well because that's supposed to be like full interdimensional like sex and gore stuff and he definitely wanted to sort of achieve that with this i mean we talked about hellraiser on the show and there's a part where like that dude is like he uh sort of like how you were talking about how sam neil goes like full uh hedonistic or whatever like he in in hellraiser it is pain as pleasure and the guy is like piercing himself with a bunch of like uh hooks and then he literally gets like torn piece by piece from every single hook and like explodes on screen and you can just tell that paul dopes like pretty much would have went there if they would have let him <laughs> yeah, go there. Yeah, absolutely. Um, Did but, you guys uh, again, ever watch uh, the 2009 movie Pandorum? No, but I, I've heard of it. Yeah, it's with Ben Foster and Dennis Quaid. And I've just, while I was watching this movie, I was like, this has to be the inspiration directly. Because it's it's got really? the same vibe where it's like they kind of 
Uh, in this one, they, they end up just kind of waking up in this, this, this ship already, but it has that same vibe where like Dennis Quaid is the captain and he slowly goes insane and, and all that kind of stuff. So, uh, it even right. has very similar set design, which I, which I found interesting. interesting. But, yeah. Mm. Just throwing it cool. out there. I'll yeah, Event, Event Horizon is a surprisingly more influential film than people give it. A lot of people yeah. cite it as like, um, it, 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 there is a reason it is like Paul W. Anderson's most like popular film just in general. Right. Um, yeah. Like this is this is the one that's not really connected to a franchise in any way. It was like purely this is what he would have been making if he could have made if he had the choice because this was it. He, he made PG-13 blockbuster films for people prior to this. And when they gave him a blank check, this was like, this is what I actually want to be doing. Right, <laughs> right. Yeah. So and you feel that and and, sure. and and I I wish he got to do more of it because uh, this is again a a sort of like alien inspired but also doom inspired also Hellraiser inspired that has a so full out like society level like cannibal orgy happening <laughs> in it at a certain point Woo. yeah and so like the, all the references that we're making to compare this to is all stuff that I also love. So it's got to be, I mean, if we're pivoting towards reductive rating around this one, this one gets a solid to maybe even a high four for me, just because I, um, I watched this one like quite a few times on, on DVD. And it is the Paul W. Sanderson film that I have gone back to, uh, the most a uh, big part of it too is that he really got an all-star cast together i love watching Lawrence fishburne and sam neill and jason isaacs just oh, all yeah. hanging out a little bit for for good portions <laughs> of the film um you can you can see Lawrence fishburne doing like uh, a little bit of a, a tryout for some of his matrix stuff that he was going to do being the yeah. the crew captain of a of a spaceship and like <laughs> yeah for sure for sure yeah he's great um, in this especially yeah yeah i yeah, probably so, oh sorry <laughs> Oh, I was going to say, so the, though though I mourn like the two hour cut of this that went full Absolutely. Hellraiser, <laughs> like this is like a really nasty sci-fi horror film. Yeah. Lots of really gross textures and um, lots of possessions and mutilations and portals to space hell. So what's like, you know, not to love about that? Yeah, uh, I, I'm also going to give it the, the four. Um, yeah. Yeah. You've got, got him there. Y'all have convinced me. <laughs> Woo, the four. It is solid. Uh, yeah. So, uh, Bring him in. Set design is unbelievable in this. Like, once again, it feels like you can, like, just touch everything, including that that huge spinning globe that goes into another dimension. It's just, it, it feels so, so... Uh, real and and has weight to it it's it's fantastic Love yeah and, and also i think i think you mentioned it jamie but that microchip like vent yeah the, that it, he goes into that's all like green. cube have you mm-hmm. seen cube where they like yes. go through all this oh, yeah. yeah it reminded me of that in that sequence and uh and i just love i mean the the lighting in general just the the really green digital chips that are kind of lighting the whole thing it's it's very cool i really liked that yeah so so that and then the hull of the event horizon that has like those organic bloody veins going up the wall and the skulls and stuff there's some amazing design work in this yeah and even getting into that cube space like it shows uh, Sam going over to a specific part of the ship, you know, like unlatching it, opening it up. Like there's just a lot of detail in there that really helps drive uh, the kind of the, the realism of the the uh, the spaceships in this. And it's it's mm-hmm. great. It's really good design. Uh, obviously love watching Sam Neill slowly go insane. That's always a fun time. <laughs> I love doing it. 
this has like, been a fun double got, feature of Sam Peel goes yeah, insane. I've got, oh, we got yeah. Possession, Event Horizon, In the Mouth of Madness. I just want to keep watching Sam Neill lose his shit. It's, he uh, does it's, so well. Yeah, he does it so well. The unique talent of his. <laughs> yes, very, <laughs> very good. Um, but yeah, and, and once again, the, the violence and even those, like, those really fast-paced glimpses of, of hell and that dimension that we get are enough for, to be effective for sure. But like Josh said, I, I am kind of mourning the, the two-hour cut. I'd like to, to see a little bit more of the, the crazy violence and perversions and whatever, but that's just because mm-hmm. I'm a, a Sam, sleazoid Sam, over here. Sam Neill in uh, possessed devil mode uh, while he's showing the visions of hell does say, do you see? Yes. <laughs> do you see? Yeah. Do you see? Um, Which is also a connection in the mouth of madness. There's oh so much God. talk about seeing and eyes being torn out and close-ups of eyes looking at people. Yeah, this was a, a really good uh, good double feature. Perfect so double feature. Awesome, yeah. Yeah, very awesome. <laughs> you are uh, so welcome. So yeah, four <laughs> out of five, four out of five. And yeah, thanks for bringing it on for sure. Go ahead. Yeah, I mean, I give it five. This movie is like uniquely like, I just love it. Like it was, I watched it for the first time. Like it was my first, I think, non-Jurassic Park Sam Neill movie yeah. and it was just like one of those movies I watched in college for the first time that really had like an intense effect on me like I, I watched it the day after a New Year's Eve party with my first boyfriend my freshman year in college and it was the day after this party that uh we had at his sister's apartment in New Jersey which I got bed bugs from oh, um, no good but, <laughs> but his sister and her boyfriend just like popped it on like it was on Netflix I think and they popped it on and my, and my boyfriend at the time had seen it too and he's like dude have you ever seen Event Horizon this movie is so fucked up and we like <laughs> sat on their couch and we watched like half of it I think and I was just so like it just it just really hit me and then I went home and I finished the whole thing and and just like it was just like one of those it was like one of these movies that really introduced me to what I like and what I yeah. specifically want out of a horror mm-hmm. movie, which is for sure just like like, you know, not a lot. I, I, I don't like yeah. to be given a whole lot when I really want to be scared um, and just and just the idea of being in space and this this weird like fusion of space and and hell orgies it's just <laughs> such a like it's such a bizarre fusion of of genres and like concepts for horror and and i'm like yeah, I'm, I'm really surprised no one's done it again that's what i was just about to say like I, I can't think of any other movie that has done this weird you know this weird fusion of 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 sci-fi space outer space with like demonic like possession you know yeah <laughs> like i i i guess he just did it so so fucking well yeah. No one can imitate Event Horizon. No, but we were we were talking about it actually off show briefly because we saw that Event Horizon is actually like more logged and more popular than In the Mouth of Madness was, which yeah. you would think would be kind of crazy because In the Mouth of Madness has John Carpenter attached to it. Right. Um, who is obviously a lot more popular, I think, in the horror scene than than Anderson is. Mm-hmm. But from what it sounds like Event Horizon is just well known as, have you seen this fucked up movie on Netflix? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. For some reason, like, cause I had never heard of In the Mouth of Madness until like a couple years ago. But mm, like, me too. my, my boyfriend, my, my freshman year boyfriend in college was like, yeah, dude, Event Horizon, you've never seen this. Yeah. I was oh. like, no. <laughs> but I don't know. Yeah. Yeah. Crazy. It's fantastic. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. yeah well, five out of five stars. <laughs> 
Awesome. Beautiful. Well, I think that'll wrap it up for this week's show. That was In the Mouth of Madness from 1994 and Event Horizon from 1997. Thanks so much, Brianna, for joining us and bringing these films with you. Yes, of course. Thank you for having me. No problem. If you've uh, if you've got anything to plug, this is where we uh, usually let you do that. Um, I have if, nothing to plug right now except you can, you, you, for you can plug the Twitter. Yeah, just go on my Twitter. Um, it has a link to my portfolio if you would like to hire me. <laughs> Absolutely, I'm available to Always write anything horny or funny or. <laughs> we highly recommend. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> we, we we can attest. Hire Brianna. Yes, do it. I'm a doll. (laughs) (laughs) Um, For our listeners, we are going to be back in one week's time where we are going to be doing a bonus episode over on the Patreon. Um, We are going to be, uh, speaking of Event Horizon, we are going to be doing some more uh, uh, satanic hell possessions. We are going to be talking about uh, Exorcist 2, The Heretic. Yeah. Um, the much maligned, much hated sequel to yeah, William Friedkin. We're going to fight the for Exorcist, it a little bit. Not too hard. by but... John, John Borman. <laughs> yeah, it, it's, it's a really strange psycho uh, drama yeah. that has James Earl Jones dressed in a head-to-toe locust outfit. <laughs> like he's in like Temple of Doom or something. Yeah, it's Either great. way. It's gonna be it's gonna be a good time talking about that, and we're gonna be pairing it um, with the visitor from 1979, which is one of trip. the straight one of the weirdest films I have ever seen. Yes, me just too. in general, it involves uh, Lance Henriksik being a satanic base- basketball team owner who <laughs> tries to get his girlfriend pregnant with a Satan baby for so that his telekinetic daughter can have a brother to help her blow shit up and, and take over the world, people. I guess. Yeah. And, and <laughs> kill people with birds. Uh, Franco Nero, the guy who plays Django uh, is Jesus in it. Uh, J- John Houston is his disciple. This yes. The guy who did the Maltese Falcon. This is all he real. Is, folks. He is Django. Jesus's disciple who is trying to stop this from happening. And Glenn Ford, the man from <laughs> the big heat and other noir films is investigating this cosmic conflict about a basketball team owner uh, in Atlanta who is trying to like <laughs> Rosemary's baby, his girlfriend. Yeah. And there's also an army of bald children. So it's got it all. You know? Army of bald children. 90% of the violence in the film is done by birds. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. very nice. I'm listening. So he was obviously so, a big Hitchcock fan. Huge Hitchcock yeah. fan. So, but, but it also involves um, Satan trying to possess uh, a small child. Yeah, that's so always fun. So we're going to have a fun double feature next week. Oh, again, patreon.com slash podcast for that one. And then in two weeks time, we are going to be back with a guest and we are going to be talking uh, boxing movies. We are going to be doing John Houston. Yes, the director of the Maltese Falcon, who also stars in this movie, The Visitor. Somehow we we're make these be- connections. <laughs> we don't even try. I swear to God. Don't even try it. We're going to be talking about his boxing movie starring Stacey Keach called Fat City from 1972. And uh, we're going to be pairing it with Shinya Tsukamoto's uh, Tokyo Fist, the guy who did Tetsuo awesome. the Iron Man, really sort of in, insane um, splatter horror films. Yes, he made a boxing movie in Japan, and it is basically as gory as any other Shinya Tsukamoto <laughs> film. As a boxing movie. That's awesome. I can't wait. 
It's the only boxing horror film I've ever heard of. So we're going to be talking about that in uh, two weeks time for all the free listeners. Fantastic. Uh, But that being said, that'll wrap it up for everything this week. Thanks so much, guys, for listening. And keep it sleazy. Keep it sleazy.